You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Welcome to the Vineyard. It's my joy to be with you today. I'm Rick Francis. I'm pastor here. What a joy it is. We had a special guest that came into our, our city, our area, uh, Steve Backlin. He was with us Friday night. Uh, we got the email out a little late. I wasn't even aware he was in town, but uh, what a wonderful time we had in the presence of the Lord. And it was so refreshing for me to once again remind myself that, you know, a lot of things that I believe is what's limiting me from experiencing the fullness of the Lord, his kingdom, his love, and uh, just continue to grow and grow and grow. So it was really good. I, I feel refreshed. Went to that on Friday night. Then Saturday morning, they had a leaders meeting, and he shared at the leaders meeting. It was just wonderful. I hope to find a way to get that out to you uh, through little tidbits, through the sermons, through our VCC connections. Uh, how many's ever seen a daily connection or a VCC connection? Have you ever ever seen one of those? How did how did you see it? Where did you go? You go to Facebook. Look at the church's uh, Vineyard Community Church at Mount Comfort's uh, Facebook page, and there you'll find the daily connections, the the services, all the things that are archived there. You you have access to. But uh, we're going to try to get those out so that you can get that. Because it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, truth that I need to remind myself, especially with my temperament, because I have a tendency to see the cup half empty. Uh, that's kind of where, I, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that I'm really good at. And I thought that they were gifts from the Lord, anointings from the Holy Spirit that was, that was there. And they're not in Scripture. I just can't find them procrastination it's not there uh, criticism it's not there and so as, 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 I, as I look at those things and just realize the way I'm wired is almost a way to self-sabotage the ongoing development of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life and the wonder of his kingdom have you ever thought yeah the Lord can do that for somebody else, but I don't think he's going to do it for me. Mm. We have someone that comes by and, and whatever their anointing and gifting is that they're ministering to the fellowship, to the body, and you're sitting wondering, well, why hasn't the Lord said anything to me? And the enemy comes by and just whispers, because you're not important. Or, he doesn't love you as much as he does Debbie. And, and we get into the comparison and the why and all that kind of stuff, and it just has a way of just kind of imploding. And then we find what we've done over a course of time as those things have kind of repeated in one form or another until we actually have a self-sustained system operating in the backgrounds of our minds that's always telling us it's not going to happen for you. Others may, but you may not. Hmm. 
So anyway, we're going to try to get out some of those things because what we believe is really, really important. I can have really good doctrine in my head, but what I believe in my heart may contradict the doctrine that I believe in my head. And there's a good place for doctrine. There's a good place for being in the Scripture and, and, and getting exposed and allowing the Word to wash over us and take those things that the Lord's speaking from the Bible to our hearts. But there's also the aspect of being before Him and just looking at Him and spending time with Him. Hmm. Beholding Him. So beholding and, and growing hmm. in the Word. So as we take our Bibles, we open to Mark. Today we're ready to continue in chapter 6. In chapter 5, we've seen the Lord do some amazing things. As he's on his way to the garrison demoniac, we find that there's a big storm that comes up. And we are just taken in with the disciples' experience as they think that they're going to drown from the storm. And Jesus just gets up and he speaks to the, to the wind and to the waves. And there's peace and it's all calm. So much so that the disciples who've been with him now and have seen him heal a leper, have seen him uh, cast out demons, they, they've seen several of the things that Jesus has done, but when he speaks to nature, when he speaks to the wind, when he speaks to the principality and the powers of the air, and he speaks and they obey, they are totally astonished and they say, who is this? You know, we've known him as a teacher. We think he's the Messiah. He has prophetic abilities and he can heal the sick but he speaks to nature and it obeys him. And so Mark is, is bringing together a revelation of Jesus for us to be able to really participate in, in an experience that, man, if you're going to be around Jesus, and it's not just in Bible times, but it's true for us today, you better get ready to find out that he has more authority and more power than you ever could have imagined and that he can break into 2022 in your life and your circumstances and your reality in ways that you never, ever could have believed. And he delights doing that for us. So here he is. He heals uh, the demoniac. Legion of demons get out. Pigs die. Cyrus comes, he's got a 911 run. His daughter's right at the verge of death. So it is urgent, 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 urgent that Jesus come to his house right away because he believes that if Jesus is there, his daughter will live. He will heal her. So as they're running, <laughs> this whole mob of this crowd going to Jairus' house the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years comes up behind him and touches the hem of his garment. You just get a little touch of any thread that is touching Jesus. And she's instantly healed, and she knows it. For 12 years she suffered. And so we see the healings 
everything that's taken place. <laughs> Just amazing, amazing, amazing. And now chapter 6. He leaves Jairus' house, little girl, 12-year-olds, up, walking around, eating. At least I, I believe they did what Jesus told them to do when he said, give her something to eat. So I, I believe she's eating. And now Jesus is leaving. And here we go. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. We believe that to be Nazareth. Accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What, what's this wisdom that has been given to him that he does, he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Let's pray. Father, as we sit under the reading of your word, we invite Holy Spirit to bring the full truth that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So he taught on the Sabbath in a synagogue. No surprise, that's kind of his, his normal protocol on the Sabbath. He finds a synagogue, goes in, and he starts teaching. Here the people are amazed. They're amazed. Now, when you hear the word amazed, do you think of something negative or something positive? Positive most time, huh? It's absolutely amazing. You, you hear good teaching. You, you hear something that is powerful, radically touches you. And it, boy, we're amazed at that. And we find from all the way in chapter 1 that the people are amazed at how Jesus teaches because he doesn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks with authority. And there's something amazing about when Jesus gets into the pulpit. Where did he get these things? That's what the people are trying to figure out. Have you ever heard somebody speak and you're just thinking, huh? Never heard that before. Where did that come from? Where did he get that? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? It's interesting that they're, they're perceiving that the things that he's saying, these amazing things that he's saying, is coming from a place of wisdom. And he wants to know where he got that wisdom. Where, where, where'd that come from? Where'd he get such things? They, they don't think that it's inherent in the person. Have you ever heard someone get up and speak and you know that they're really speaking above their education? They're speaking above their pay grade? They're speaking about things that, how do they know that? And it's like, where's the wisdom? And it, in biblical times, it would be because you followed your rabbi. 
You follow this philosopher, rabbi, godly man, and as you would follow him, he would be teaching as he goes along and you'd start receiving and hearing this and you would be able then to go and, and impress others with the things that you know. And you would get some, some really good expressions of truth that could have an impact in somebody's life. And they'd say, thank you for that. I get to have that experience a lot of times in counseling when we're looking at the heart and people are first learning how to get in touch with their heart and they're starting to learn the language of their heart and all this kind of, and it's just like wow where did this guy get this stuff well, I was around somebody who knew this stuff and taught it to me and then I've been with the Lord who really knows this stuff and he continues to teach me and so it comes from someplace else do you realize most of what we know isn't just really ours we just didn't born and, and we didn't need to go to school. We didn't need to develop. We didn't need to submit under those with authority, those that were licensed to teach, those kind of things. So here they are. They're, they're thinking, man, this wisdom was given. And I think, man, we got, we got to realize they're on to something here. They're realizing that the kind of stuff that they're hearing from Jesus is beyond human knowledge. It's beyond the human way of learning. Now, mind you, Jesus would go into uh, the temple when he was young, young boy, and who was teaching who? There was never a time that Jesus was following a rabbi. He was following someone who knew more about God than he did. <laughs> Jesus knew because he had been with the Father for eternity past. And so when he would share, he would be sharing from wisdom that is from above. Which James talks about that. James in chapter 3 verse 17 says, says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. That's kind of one of those hard things for us to, to get until we've been forgiven our sins. And we've humbled ourselves and we've received the full purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And then we start to understand, oh, if I confess my sins, he will forgive me my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. So there's a purification that takes place. And this kind of wisdom comes, first of all, it's pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's the kind of wisdom we're supposed to be seeking. And when you see wisdom in the scriptures, wisdom almost takes on a personality. It's almost as if wisdom is a person. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's easy to see, you know, Jesus as wisdom see Holy Spirit manifesting in releasing words of wisdom. And so we see that it's something that's divine. It's something that comes from heaven. And here they're, they're hearing this. They're trying to figure out where he got this wisdom. You know, did he take a Dale Carnegie course? How did he get this? Where do we sign up on the internet? Will they take a credit card? We'd like to, we'd like to get in on some of this. 
And then they comment, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Wow. Okay? He teaches. He's doing miracles. He speaks with wisdom. They're overwhelmed. And they are absolutely amazed with Jesus. But then it shifts. Have you ever started off with Jesus and, and everything is wonderful and it's new and it's great and then all of a sudden some outside influences start coming in and all of a sudden there's influences from the kingdom of darkness that's trying to distract you from focusing on Jesus and it's not too long before all of a sudden what you thought was amazing you become offended at. Isn't this, they say, hmm, the carpenter? This guy's speaking like a PhD, and we know he hasn't gone to seminary. And he, he's not a postgraduate scholar. Uh, he's a blue-collar worker. He's worked here in our town. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this somebody who who just works at the factory? Huh. There's something about how when we get around something that is extraordinary, we have to try to find out how can we bring it down to ordinary. And so you go back to history, who they were. And they look at Jesus as a blue-collar worker. He's a carpenter. Isn't he Mary's son? Start looking at that, Mary's son. Some look at that and they say, oh, they believe that Joseph died a, a premature death. And so now Jesus is being identified as Mary's son. But it could be that those in the, in the village remember, huh, that's the, that's the lady who got pregnant before the wedding. Uh, that's Mary's son. Uh, they don't believe in the virgin birth. We've got folks that struggle with the virgin birth in today's world. What do you think back then in the village when Mary gets pregnant and starts showing and everything that takes place? So it's like, eh, isn't that the Ill illegitimate son of Mary? Hmm. Isn't his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? How many have more than one brother in your family? Anybody? Got a couple. Okay. Reputations of your brother, have they ever affected how people look at you? Especially if they were stinkers, if they were rascals, if they were uh, trouble in, in school? Hmm. I don't know about all the brothers of Jesus, but we know that they thought he was loony. In chapter 2, they come because they say he's out of his mind. And in don't we, don't we have his brothers? Huh. The brothers' reputation and the sisters. Oh my. The sisters. And so there's the whole family. And it concludes with this sorrowful text. And they took offense at him. They were offended at Jesus. What kind of offense? Well, I don't like your cologne. I'm offended. 
Now, I, I think we kind of get a picture of what kind of offense when we find another time, or maybe this is the same time, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, when Jesus goes to Nazareth. It's right after the, the, the wilderness temptation. He's already been baptized at the Jordan. He's gone into the desert 40 days, 40 nights, tempted by, del by the devil. And now he's coming, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And where does he go? He goes to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. He takes up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads the prophecy about the Messiah. And when he gets done, he says, today it's been fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. This passage of the Old Testament prophet is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> And all spoke of him well and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Verse 22. And then, isn't this Joseph's son? No, oh, Luke identifies him as Joseph's son. They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. <laughs> I tell you the truth, he continued, no, par, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Judah, uh, many widows in, in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years, there were severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zephyrath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue, they thought it was amazing. His words were fantastic. They loved everything he said. This is great, amazing. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down from the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went his way. I think when Mark says they were offended, they were offended. He had upset and pushed a button and had done something that caused them to want to kill him right there on the spot. And I look at that and I'm saying, what happened? I don't see anything in the text that really tells us why would they go so mad about Jesus? Who you believe Jesus is is probably the most important belief you'll ever have. If you believe as a teacher and you want your ears tickled, you'll hear some really good things but he's more than a teacher. And that part of him that transcends his teaching is probably going to offend you. Although I think his teaching could probably offend some of us as well. Is he a miracle worker, a healer, a deliverer? Yeah. Maybe you believe Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the savior. He, he came to save us and he came to be a sacrifice for us. And so as the Lamb of God, he came and he was slain for you and for me so that we could be forgiven from sin. 
Maybe you've got to the place where he's Lord. He's the Lord. And you don't just look at him as a rabbit's foot, some kind of lucky charm that you, you want to keep close because you never know when you're going to need you know, some lucky help. But now you realize he's, he's the sovereign Lord and he should be worshipped. He should be pursued above all other pursuits in my life and he should be served. And I want to serve him and be with him. And then you may get the revelation that he's a, a bridegroom. He is the groom. And he's looking for his bride. Does it change the way you look at him? If you, if you believe Jesus is just a teacher, as opposed to Jesus is my future spouse? Huh. How much time would you give to Jesus if you knew that you were going to be married to him for all eternity. Might be a good call to pay attention to who he is and grow and learn more about his amazing life. They took offense at him. Jesus then speaks. A prophet is not without honor Except, oh, they put the except clause in there. Except, and then he, he identifies. Except in his hometown, a geographical location. Where are you from? Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've noted this because I've got a few friends that are from Arkansas. And it's kind of like sometimes they don't want to let anybody know that they're from Arkansas. Because... The perception of Arkansas is that they're kind of lower than the rest of the states. Until you find out that when the Arkansas folks want to talk about who's below them, it's Mississippi. And it's like, oh my stars. So you're my Mississippi. And it seems like wherever we are in the hierarchy of social acceptance, we can always find someone who's below us. <laughs> and Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Where he's from. Hmm. Ever talk to somebody and you say you're from Indianapolis and they think, oh, thought you were sophisticated. <laughs> All of a sudden, among his relatives, the dynamic of what family can do, and in his own home. Wow. See, there's something that I, I, I believe that the Lord wants us to understand in the gospel is that sometimes familiarity can breed contempt. The more you're around something, the more you're exposed to something, the more you... That can be true of our, of our Sunday service. If you come, come in every Sunday and you expect the worship team to put out four or five songs together and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to go through a thing and, and you know, we've got it. We're so familiar that, you know, I don't really like the worship that well, so 
I really don't have to be here till about 11. So I, I'll get here at 11 because I, <laughs> I don't want to miss Michelle's announcements. Got to be here, get here for that. And, and then what happens after announcements? Oh, the sermon. Well, we don't want to miss the sermon. So, you know, and, and we get so familiar with the, the elements of what we do every Sunday that we forget why we're doing it. Have we been with him? Have we had that intentional connection with our life union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's an authentic question. So, you know, I've been in a few worship services, a few church services, and sometimes, you know, you, you come and, I don't know, maybe Linda's got a little extra something that comes out in her greeting, and it kind of sparks something in you, wakes you up and says, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm here not to check on so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm here to, to worship the Lord. And it refocuses our attention. We, we've got to break out of the familiarity of routine, of whatever it is that we, we do, that just, we could put it on autopilot. I've been pastoring since really ninth grade, 1969, but let's say officially with documentation since 1980. And so I, I've been around a few services and I can almost function on autopilot if I want to because I, I know how to do that. I, I know how to be Pastor Rick. And so I can put it on autopilot and just go through autopilot. And da, da, da. But this morning, I was thinking, Lord, I believe this is going to be the best worship service we've ever had. I believe that you're here and that you want to do something so amazing that I've got to get away from the familiarity of how I perceive you want to work. And so I want to step back and just say, Lord, it's your church. How do you want to work this morning? And while the worship was going this morning, I have some, I have some physiological phenomena that takes place when the presence of the Lord shows up. And it was like 4th of July. I mean, I had stuff, as my eyes are shut, I have fireworks going on. I'm thinking, okay. I made that declaration while I was in the restroom, and now while I'm in, in the worship service, it's actually coming forth. The Lord is saying, you want more? I'll give you more. Are you ever going to exhaust the limitless God the facets of how wonderful and glorious he is. So we almost need to change some things. And I find that the thing that I'm being challenged is I got to change my beliefs because my beliefs determine where my ceiling is in the Lord. What I believe is true, that will be the full reality of my experience. I won't go, I won't go beyond what I believe is true. Hmm. But most of the times, I don't even know where those boundaries are. I just know that here's where I'm living. 
and I'm not satisfied. Anybody happy where, where you are right now in, in, in the level of intimacy, the level of the gospel, the kingdom moving in and through your life? So that tells me we've gotten stuck with what we believe. So Holy Spirit, I give you permission to go into my mind and in my heart and in my spirit and in my body and realign what is true, what is the belief system that I need to function out of. Because if you don't, I'm just going to keep hitting my head on the ceiling because I can't get through. It's very hard to have a breakthrough in anything if you don't know, but in the background, your belief is what's hindering the breakthrough. Hmm. Now, I can hear you thinking, well, gosh, well, several of you are, are just thinking, huh? <laughs> if that's true, then I shouldn't have anything that I couldn't have a breakthrough in. You're saying that there's just not natural restrictions and limitations to what the Lord can do in and through me? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> there aren't, except for the ones that you impose on yourself. If you think it's true, you will believe it's true, and you will live in that area, and that will be your reality. I believe when Jesus says, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I haven't seen the measure of heaven on earth that I believe is true. But it's amazing how oftentimes when I get pressed into real life circumstances, I find out that I really don't believe that heaven's really that good because I have no vision for what can be on the earth. Superpower nations will oppress less powerful nations. That's what I believe. Is that true in heaven? No. You won't find a superpower in heaven suppressing an inferior, a, a less than power. Won't find it. Lord, we need heaven on earth, especially with the Ukraine situation. We need that. Lord, I need it in my marriage. I need it in my family. I need it in my workplace. Lord, I've grown so familiar with things going this way over and over and over in the routine that I, I've lost my ability to believe that you want something greater. So Father, I just ask that you would release your loving grace so tenderly to each heart that we would 
submit. We would, we would shift off the throne of our own pride, our arrogance, our superior thinking abilities, or we'd get off the throne of our inferiority, our inferior thinking, our inferior intellectual abilities, and we would just humble ourselves and say, Lord, I believe that you're a good God. And you know what you want me to believe in. And I surrender my mind, my heart, my spirit, my body to your Lordship and invite you to have your way in me today. Break off the lies that I believe are true. Break off the feelings that often lead and cause me to interpret whether or not this is good, true, of you. I pray, Father, that our feelings would, would be in response to believing truth and not be formative in determining what is true. So, Lord, release to us a grace to believe again the truth of the kingdom, the truth of the good news, the truth about Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.